Good evening. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. And welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship with your host, Walter Haas, and my co-host, Yarrow. Yay. <laughs> Co-host. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say friend, but apparently Yarrow is not my friend. Don't say that on air, Walter. <laughs> I was joking with you. You oh. are my friend. We, we, we had sushi together. That's like breaking bread in the Jewish tradition. So oh, That makes me happy again. Yes. <laughs> all right. So today we're talking all about New Year's resolutions and looking back on the year 2013. Because today is the last day of 2013. Any thoughts, Yarrow? Mm, How was 2013 for you? It's been a long one. Uh, you yes. know, it's, uh, I, I've had um, an obvious, well, there's an obvious big thing that happened this year, which is not something I want to spend too much time talking about because it's very sad, is my mother passed away. So that was the start of this year. And uh, going into 2013, having my mother still alive and, and being in hospital. And for those people who aren't aware, my mother had a stroke in 2011 and it was a, uh, uh, not a bad stroke in terms of the size of it, but it was um, lots of little strokes. And she has a unique structure in her brain, um, in the uh, brain stem, where the way it's structured, which means the little strokes had a larger impact than they might otherwise have had on other people. Long story short, she was in hospital and it turned out to be a horrible experience. Um, <laughs> honestly, I can't say anything good about the experience other than the fact that I did get to spend almost every day of the last two years of my mother's life together, which unfortunately wasn't in the best of circumstances, but at least, um, in fact, I remember doing the math. I was thinking if my mother didn't have the stroke, I saw her on average once a week, sometimes once every two weeks. And with after because of the stroke, I ended up seeing her uh, at the beginning seven days a week, and then it was sort of five or six days a week over the course of two years. I almost, like, I, that was 10 years, basically. The math I did, that would have been 10 years of, of seeing her going forward. So again, not the best of circumstances, but I was trying to look on the, uh, the, the bright side of um, whatever I could find on that. So that my mother passed away in March, which um, obviously was a massive change because for those people who've had loved ones in hospital before, I know you have as well, Walter, um, recently, yeah, that's re- fine. recently and also with your mother. And, and um, you, especially with my mother's condition, it's hard to make certain types of plans because you can't leave the city for starters. Like I was not, you know, I was thinking about travels, but I wasn't making concrete plans because I wasn't going anywhere until my mother was either more stable or something else. So, um, and you, you know, you don't know when someone's going to die or if they're going to die. So that was a, uh, a change that I didn't see coming. Um, and you know, obviously it was tough to deal with probably, probably not as hard as, some other people who've had their parents pass away because I did have two years of, I guess, thinking about the possibility of my mother dying because she was in such a precarious situation. So once it happened, I was, there was a mix of relief in a lot of ways because she was in such a, a horrible situation. Like I wouldn't want someone to be the, the condition that she was in for too long. So once that past I started to I guess construct what do I want the rest of this year to be like and funny thing was my business goals throughout the entire time with my mother in hospital didn't 
changed too dramatically. Like obviously we had cranky ads for a good two years. In fact, almost the entire time my mother was in hospital was the entire time we were working together that's, as a team. That's right. I think we started just before uh, your mom had her first stroke. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's funny. There it, it was a lot of closure this year. You know, we're closing down cranky ads. In fact, tomorrow will be the day we switch off everything. First day of 2014. And yeah, so I, I guess I can see uh, 2013 as a year of closures. That's the way I look at it. Um, I was maintaining the status quo with a lot of my business things, for example, my training products and my blogging. But, you know, we hadn't even decided to shut down Cranky Ads at the start of this year either. We were giving it, I guess, a last, um, I won't say last ditch effort, but we were trying the last few things we thought we'd give a go and then decide what to do next. So uh, the start of the year, it was a kind of a let's see what happens, and then some big changes happened. Then we decided that we're not going to continue with cranky ads. So that's when you can go, okay, now what does the rest of the year hold, and and what do I really want to do? And for me, that's when the chance to reflect on what happened to me personally with my mother, uh, professionally, let's call it, with cranky ads, and you know how those things impacted me, and then what I actually wanted to do going forward uh, as you know we we ended our I guess our partnership when Cranky Ads ended so um, that business was no longer going to require as much time you moved on to another project Mick our other partner moved on and I had to sort of stop and think okay well do I want to do another startup do I want to uh, focus on what I've always done? Do I want to do something new but in the same area? And those are the sorts of thinking decisions that I start to make. And you know, rather than me continue to ramble on, Walter, maybe you can dive in. In particular, once we decided to shut down Cranky Ads, you, you obviously had some decisions to make as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, before we go off topic too much, um, I just wanted to reiterate, uh, obviously, that's um, horrible, horrible when any, anything like that happens in your life. And nothing ever prepares you for it. But um, I've gone through similar uh, situations over the last 30 years, uh, a couple of times. Um, my dad passed away recently as well. And um, I, I do have to say that in light of all of those experiences, uh, failures in business just don't mean that much. So I find, for me at least, it's really made me a lot stronger because you just don't care about those things that all things considered don't mean that much. So I found I'm a bit more gung-ho and willing to try different things that may or may not work. Um, Is that different to when you were in your maybe early 20s? Oh, uh, yeah. I was uh, definitely a lot more risk-averse back then. Back then, I was all about learning how to do everything perfectly and not starting or trying anything until I knew I could crush it. Mm. Um, and that's really not how business works. If you have an idea, you have to go off and try it. And uh, if you fail, you fail, but you can't wait until you have everything perfect because, you know, then you'll never get there. Mm. I totally agree with you about uh, the, I guess, the leveling of the playing field of life. When, when you see what people go through in hospital and when you have something happen to someone you love, I think that's possibly the, the second worst thing that can happen to you. I think obviously your own health is, the, you know, the thing that would impact you the most. Uh, but seeing what can happen to can happen to people um not only do you appreciate things like you know i started to appreciate being able to get out of my bed because my mother spent the entire time in a bed and couldn't get out of it so that's something that i really did take for granted and when you see that all these people recovering from strokes that it's a pretty 
epic uh, kind of impact they can have on your, your entire body. You know, I mean, people go from fully functioning to suddenly half their entire body's paralyzed. So I do, I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, knowing that this is what could happen in your life when, okay, you don't make as much money or, you know, Cranky Ads doesn't turn into a successful financial project. Exactly. Um, you know, even like getting... Uh, breaking up from a relationship as bad as those can be you know you you can walk (laughs) yeah it sounds uh, the thing is that I do want to balance that because I used to have this attitude or at least this way of giving myself advice that I sometimes heard other people say too which was you know if something bad happens to you just remember there's starving children in Africa you know that sort of there's always someone worse off than you just as there's always someone better off than you and well, I found that advice, I guess, humbling in, in some regards, and sure, it's nice that I can eat, and I you know, don't want to take that for granted either. I did find that it still didn't give you, like, it's, it, it was a bit counterproductive because you still live in your situation, and you still have your own motivations, your own goals, things you're, you're striving for, and to go, well, it's okay that you're failing in everything in, you know, your life. You're failing out of university. You can't make any money. You know, you're struggling to pay your rent. But because people in Africa are starving, you should be happy, you know? And I was like, okay, I get the sentiment, but there's there's got to be a balance between reality that you exist in and what you're trying to do with your own life and, you know, the, the, the environment that you operate in, as well as, I guess, the ground roots humbling. So I think there's a need to balance some kind of motivations, some kind of desire to improve your circumstances with that grounding of knowing that, yes, you should be grateful for the basics, that there'll be able, the ability to walk the, the food on your plate and those sorts of things. So mixing those two, that sort of the hunger and then the gratefulness that you can eat. <laughs> yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there because you're right. If you never, you need to be hungry all the time for want of a better phrase to reach the next thing. So you have to be on some level not satisfied because that's what drives you. That's what makes you, you know, put in the hours and get to the next level in your business or um, personal life, relationships, whatever it is, you need to have a goal there. But it's important at the same time not to forget where you've come from. So look forward but also look back and also look at other people in similar different situations just to put yourself into perspective because it's important to look in the right direction, look forward, but also remember where you are and how far you've come. Mm. Otherwise, you'll never appreciate where you are or what you've achieved when you're there. Mm. And if anything, knowing about the starving children in Africa or whatever thing you want to think about that's you know, not as good as your own life, that should be not something to comfort you. That should be something to go, well, wait a sec. I don't have any excuses. I really need to work. Uh, if I don't work, then I'm squandering the lucky situation I'm in. And, and or that's even the, better, or even better, make that a driving force for you to help those kids in that situation. Well, sure. I mean, like that's, I guess, the ultimate goal, right? You can't just keep making money for money's sake just to give it back. So, um, you know, you can close the loop there. It is a nice loop in a lot of ways. It's, uh, it's a lifetime sort of goal though is to sort of work your way through it all but um yeah I I do find especially thinking back to my 20s like you were saying Walter with perfectionism you had going I didn't have perfectionism but I had uh a fear it was a lot stronger fear and this is what I'm noticing as I I I feel funny saying this as I grow older uh and I'm older than you Walter so I can you know 
wear the old wise man hat right now. Youngster. I'm happy to let you wear that hat. <laughs> and, uh, but of course, there's all of our listeners who are older than me, so you know, I bow to your wisdom. But um, I've noticed that, and perhaps it's because of what I went through with my mother, uh, but I think a lot of it's also just experience and age. Everything is slightly duller in some ways than it used to be. Uh, like, you know, as a teenager, everything is dramatic constantly, you know, and little things make you feel the strongest emotions, like a friend not saying hello to you at the bus stop or someone talking about you behind your back or you're not wearing the right clothes to school, you know, and those things are like epic catastrophes and you're, you're almost crying because of that. And then you, you realize that it's silly to be upset about those sorts of things. You leave school and realize there's more to life than the little environment that you existed in at school. Uh, but on the flip side, you also feel a lot of positive things a lot stronger than too. Like your first crush, for example, is I'd say probably the strongest feeling of a crush of, of a absolute obsession with another person that you ever feel in your life, which is probably at, you know, 16 or 15 or something like that. And then, you know, you get to your twenties and you're still feeling these things, but you've become an adult. You've had to take some responsibility. Uh, you don't feel the the lows and the highs quite as much and maybe this is just my experience but you know most people I talk to will say the same thing and the way I see it the older I get the roller coaster is flatter and flatter you know I don't take rejection badly at all where it used to be the end of the world for me but at the same time when I get something good happen yeah it's there's barely a reaction too sometimes you know it's you don't ride the high you don't ride the low you just go along this flat I have to give a shout out to good old Eckhart Tolle out there for, you know, staying in the now and popularizing that whole concept of getting off the roller coaster. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, Walter, could you say the same for yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. I've, uh, I've noticed the same thing. And really, I think that's why adrenaline junkies exist. Yeah. You just need to look for that bigger high to feel uh, the same sense of excitement. Well, you are a bit of an adrenaline junkie, but I've got something to throw into that. I, I've, almost finished the book Quiet, which is about introverts by Susan Cain. And there's some great research in this book about sensitivity in particular, because that's sort of a defining characteristic of introverts is a heightened sensitivity. Now, there's some brain scan reporting done in this book, and it talks about the, uh, the amygdala in the brain, which is the animal part of the brain, which will fire off more in introverts in response to stimulus, whether it's physical environment or anything. It just, you, you feel things more as an introvert. You react to things more as an introvert. As you get older though, your frontal cortex gets stronger and it can counterbalance the reaction of your amygdala. So it's in fact ties in very well with what we're talking about. Because as a teenager, your, your frontal cortex isn't as strongly developed. So your amygdala can go out of, out of you know, crazy and doesn't get the control to bring it back into line. But if you're an introvert, it's going to go react more than if you're an extrovert, which I found really interesting because I think that's why extroverts need to seek out more stimulation. Like uh, I've never needed to go on roller coasters or jump on airplanes or do bungee jumping or, you know, all the things, a lot of things that you like to do, Walter, ride the helicopters and um, do these crazy things. Now, I, I, now I think about it, Walter, I'm not even sure if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Uh, on most of the tests, I'm kind of in, in between. I can certainly spend hours by myself and not get bored because I have so many problems in my head that mm. – uh, not bad problems like I hear voices, <laughs> but sort of programming problems and uh, design kind of issues and HTML and all yeah. that sort of stuff, good stuff. Um, yeah, I've got hours worth of stuff that I need to figure out at any point during the week. So 
I'm quite happy to sit there and figure them out. What as about, long as I have a pencil and piece of paper and I can write stuff down, I'm, I'm fine. After you go to a party, are you like, do you want to keep seeing people or do you need to get away from them to recharge? Oh, I certainly need to recharge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after a big event, I need to have some me yeah, time. I do think you're an introvert. Maybe you are quite high up on the scale. Or maybe you just, you're also a thrill seeker and, and it's a bit different. But I did find it interesting that... Yes, you know, for me, just getting on an airplane flying domestically is enough of a thrill. In fact, too much. It's too much stimulation for my highly introverted brain with my amygdala. I have to tell my amygdala, the plane is okay. We're going to be all right every time the turbulence hits, right? Mm-hmm. When you're looking for airplanes, you can jump out of, which, you know, doesn't really stimulate me. So, and if, you know, it's, it's introverts and extroverts. It's a scale. I've got two cousins in Canada, Cassie and Becky, shout out, who are both introverts, but have skydived and, and do love roller coasters and these sorts of things too. But um, I certainly do find this area very interesting, the study of the brain and what you're sensitive to and what you you know seek out in your life. And, you know, we have a mutual friend in Brisbane. Uh, uh, well, I don't know what to call him. I'll call him Tony. No, Tun. Let's call him his real name, Tun, who's an extreme extrovert and often doesn't want to go home at night because there's no one there. He needs to be around people all the time. So he'll have long periods walking the streets at night talking to anyone he can sounds like a hobo but he's not <laughs> just and because. like like any classic extrovert he's always fun to be around yes oh yes he's the life of the party talks about anything and everything and, and makes it entertaining so it's interesting i find the, the the different motivations people have but i think we're getting off track here a little bit of our um uh, looking back to look forward episode we're doing here on everything entrepreneurship so um given it- Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, um, I was just going to say we were at um, looking back 2013 and looking forward and uh, talking a bit about goal setting. Mm, well, you were talking, you also hadn't mentioned when we had decided to shut down Cranky Ads, when you faced the decision what to do next. Like, where? Well, that's right. I had um, my yearly goals. So every year I do yearly goals and they're not um, the classic New Year's resolutions. What they are more of a direction for where I want to go. Um, and then to actually set goals, I will have one, at most two things, two big things a month that I focus on. If it's any more than that, then um, usually one of them gets dropped off because you get distracted. But for my yearly goals, I had a few directions I wanted to head. So um, I've got my poster in front of me. I, I usually make these in uh, a mind map software and then print them out and leave them on my wall and then I'll edit them a bit during the year. But for 2013, the big thing, the big direction I wanted to go to was finally figure out this passive income thing. Because I know when we started Cranky Ads, it was intended to be passive uh, in some ex- <laughs> to some extent, but we really started it like a regular you know, startup. So we were thinking of hiring staff and then growing it to be a multi-million dollar business. I think the passive part was the growth was meant to be somewhat organic as opposed to forced, right? Exactly. As opposed to, you know, the standard passive income model where you build something small, make a bit of a return, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars a month or a few thousand dollars a month and then step back and not have to do anything. So that I finally wanted to figure out, even if it was a you know, ten dollars a month. I wanted to figure that out, and then um, off that goal, I usually start to add. You know, the types of things I can look at to achieve that. And uh, one of the things you saw this early on is figure out what other 
people in my situation, so coders who hadn't done too much internet marketing but were a bit, you know, were competent at it, how they went about making some passive income websites. And I listened to three months intensive interviews with uh, all of those as all of those software as a service type founders that I could find. So anyone with a similar background to me. And I created a massive mind map of all the things that they did to become successful. And I showed Yarrow this. And uh, towards the end of the three months, I, I even said, look, all of the interviews all touch on the exact same couple of points. And um, for those interested, I'd, I'll just cover those points quickly. Cliffhanger, Walter, cliffhanger. Cliffhanger, cliffhanger. And when we come back from our commercial break, Walter will explain what those are. That's right. Oh, maybe I should wait till next year. <laughs> Jingle. Um, no, just did not leave you in suspense because I hate suspense. And we don't have commercials, so. And we don't have commercials. Yeah. Maybe we should. Yeah. But the, this, every successful founder that I listened to, at least the great majority of them, all did the same five things. So the first one is they found need. So that may have been in um, a forum or they may have had an existing audience and then tapped into that existing audience to find a need. Either way, they either asked and then developed the idea or they found that people in a forum needed that you know, idea that they were developing. Second thing is they created a very first crappy uh, version and just put it out there to a few people. So either they shared it on the forum and it really took off or uh, they pre-sold it to some of their audience and they got take up immediately. That seemed to be like the key. For everyone that was wildly successful, their first MVP had huge take-up, like massive take-up. So that was the, that's the second thing. The third thing is uh, they then went on and developed that with their audience. So it was a very collaborative process of development. Um, lots of backwards and forwards and daily changes and things like that. So that was the, th those are the three things that everyone did that I listened to to really be successful. After that, it, it branched out a bit, but uh, the fourth thing was marketing. Uh, and depending on what the product was, if it was a content site, they really put a lot of effort into pre-filling content. Um, and this is similar to um, the problem we had with Cranky Ads where we needed uh, both publishers and advertisers in... Uh, in one of the cases, it was a, I think it may even have been Theme Forest, but um, it, it was basically a marketplace where creators could upload their creations and uh, then buyers could buy whatever it was, so themes for WordPress, for example. But they didn't have any um, anything in the marketplace to begin with, so the first bit of effort was pre-filling the marketplace with their own creations. Um, and... A couple of other things were um, affiliates. Affiliates played a really big role. So it's kind of the product launch formula that uh, you talk about, Yarrow. Um, just really launching. So that was the, that was the fourth step, um, really like making sure there's a lot of content in whatever software it is and making sure a lot of people know about it. So actively going out there. And then the final step is automating everything. So writing up processes uh, for handling emails, for handling customer complaints, um, for handling everything you could think of to run the system and then hiring people to come and take over. This is to build a passive income website, right? You're not talking about a big multi-million dollar sellout startup here. 
Well, some of them were uh, 30000 a month. Um, I think a few of them were even $100,000 a month. So certainly not big Silicon Valley type okay. startup. Uh, businesses, but but could um, be if the person wanted to go that direction. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking you're talking like theme forest, buy sell ads, lead pages. These are some of the stories you've heard about, right? Yeah, 99 Designs and SitePoint uh, and uh, Flipper. The uh, those three are always the cliche examples I remember because mm. he did take them and uh, made them into a massive, massive business. Mm. Three massive businesses, and but they weren't built to be passive, were they? I think the only ones no, like none weren't. of those are built to be passive. Uh, they're all built to be companies. Well, they were, yeah, but they they fit that mold very, very well. And if if you even listen to um, one of those interviews, if you listen to an interview uh, with uh, Ninety Nine Designs, um, the founder of that, then Matt Mickey Wicks. Matt, yes, thank you. <laughs> then um, you'll and I have an interview with him in case people want to listen to it. It's on this podcast. Just dive in the archives. Very good. Um, yeah, I think I may have even have listened to your interview there. I hope so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that interview um, goes through all those points. It's basically the cliche interview to really get a gist of how to, run a, how to create a successful internet business. And your takeaway from all of this was then to spend the rest of this year building a website along those principles. After, exactly. After Crank, yes. Exactly. A long-winded way of saying that. Yes, that's what led into KickSpy and uh, trying to get some passive income, which I'm very happy to have uh, succeeded. Yep. So it's now covering half of my bills, all of my bills. Nice. And how are you making that money? Well, primarily through advertising, but also through uh, some services to Kickstarter project owners, which I have not automated yet. Uh-huh. But if I get more of a take-up for that, um, then... Yeah, I'll I'll look at automating it. A few other things are um, data analysis because I have a background in maths. Um, I get a few researchers and um, a few VCs come talk to me, and yeah, I I give them some data on Kickstarter, different Kickstarter projects, and uh, do some analysis on why they may have succeeded and uh, why they may have failed. Mm-hmm. So I do some of that as well. It's um, Almost consulting, um, not quite. I have a few scripts to extract data, and then I sell that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's early. It's like Kickspy is about six months old, so you're early. That's days. about a year old now. Is it okay? Jeez, yeah. yeah. Time flies. It does. It does. Hmm. I guess speaking of time flying, then uh, the last five minutes of our episode, we should maybe cover next year and, and what we're hoping to do. You're having a hugely different year potentially than this well, year. Well, that's right. I mean, um, I'm moving to Sydney on Saturday, and then everything starts on Monday next week. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <goes> fast. <laughs> three months intensive training and uh, business building, business development, um, setting up companies. Uh, we talked to some lawyers in uh, California today, so setting everything up there. And awesome. Yeah. So, and then, then off to California for two months of pitching and uh, demos and everything. Everything. So quite intensive. Uh, I'm not setting any goals other than that. For the month. <laughs> survive. Yeah, just survive. <laughs> but well, that's, it's that's living a dream. Like you've wanted to go to San Francisco for a long time. Yeah, quite a long time. And in retrospect, I didn't go because of either fear, different fears or excuses, which ended up being based in fears. But I should have gone 10 years ago. I had the chance and I never, uh, I never took it over the last 10 years, so I'm finally glad 
that this has come up. Well, you can still see, which means you can still program, so it's not too late. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I hope to join you at some point. Uh, maybe not next year. Well, we'll see. I, I don't know. I have a lease in Melbourne, and my plan is to uh, maybe do Sydney and then head over to San Francisco and then spend a bit of time in North America. So mm -hmm. I might join you, and we have a few other friends who are heading there as well, which is making it even more appealing. So I, I do like the idea. But the thing is, I don't have a startup. So I'll be sitting in cafes in San Francisco the same way I sit in cafes in Melbourne and doing the same thing, which is not a bad thing. I <laughs> no complaints about that. But uh, it, it would, I guess you have a more concrete reason to go in regards to looking for funding and so on. But um, there'd be abundant opportunities for me there as well. And just to be hanging out with more people of a similar ilk would be very oh it'd be a new experience i've never been in a town that has more people like me it's not a minority i think uh san francisco is, or at least silicon valley anyway is one of the only places on the planet where that actually might be a possibility there's more people working in a startup than there are actually employees in a business potentially i don't know maybe i'm over exaggerating it but um that's, that's an exciting prospect to want to be in the majority, wow, Walter! Can you imagine that? I've never been in the majority before. So. I, I've got to say, I haven't been either. I've always been the geek. Yeah, well, uh, the misfit, the, the, the outlier, the uh, yeah. I've been the guy who doesn't have a job. Uh, <laughs> I don't quite understand what he does to make money, but anyway, um, yeah. So oh, my year, it's it's a little bit in limbo, to be absolutely honest. I mean, work wise, I'm pretty sure I'll know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm getting all of my training out of my brain and onto digital paper. Because I'm a little bit tired of having people coming to me saying, hey, I want your course on membership sites or I want your course on blogging. And, and those programs were shut down two or three years ago. So I want them to be out there and I want them to be updated. So I'm going to do that. It's a, it's a low-hanging fruit opportunity for me. And I'm pretty sure they can be steady income sources as well. Something I just, as a blog teacher, I need to have out there in my training courses. So my first half of this year, at the very least, will be doing that. Probably the first two thirds, I will, I'd say. And then, yeah, who knows? Um, my lease ends up in September, so it might end up being good timing. I'll, I'll wrap up my courses and leave Melbourne, and then, I don't know. I, I always have this somewhat fantasy, which probably won't happen, but a bit of a Quentin Tarantino: go find a hotel in some exotic European country and write a book. You know, he he writes a script for a movie, of course, but. <laughs> Same same kind of thing. I'm not sure whether I'd do that, but I like to have the option, and I do like the idea of having a book out there too, so I'm sure that's going to happen as well. So, so most of my business goals are around information marketing and training products and continuing down that path, but I see the winds are changing, especially because I'm turning 35, and I did promise myself when I turned 35, I would sit down and write a book, a proper book, not a not a marketing tool book, which would be, you know, a blogging book. I'd like to have one of those out and I probably will next year as well with the help of an editor, but that would be somewhat of a lead generation tool for my established blogging business. It's not going to be an independent publica publication that spreads on its own accord, that sits in bookshop windows. It's not part of a, a marketing funnel, so to speak. So I'd like both. Um, I have a Venn diagram of uh, people I want to be like, which includes Tim Ferriss, Eben Pagan, and oh, I've lost my third one. Um, is it me, Yara? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is, Walter. <laughs> I've always wanted your mathematical ability, so I can press the girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with, you have with no my quadratic idea, equations. <laughs> uh, Just bust out some quadratic equations. Yep. And calculus. They love that. 
So I can uh, say pi down to the, uh, what is it, the 300? Pi to 100 decimal places. <laughs> nice. But that's not my fault. My girlfriend got me a pie cup, so uh, I had to remember them, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, so no, Tim Ferriss with his book uh, notoriety, his, his sort of written a book, written several books and done well, and that's turned into all kinds of other opportunities. Oh, yeah, it was the investor side of things. I, I, and I guess Tim represents that in some regard, too, being a, a, an angel startup, just being involved in the startup community, which is the, the San Francisco part of it. So Eben Pagan, having a business like his W dating business that, you know, it's a, a solid, established information marketing business that runs itself. That's for Eben is a passive income business to the tune of multiple millions of dollars. But it's, you know, you can't really call it a passive income business. That's a company that he's just... Uh, developed to the point where it doesn't need him anymore, which some people decide to do and, you know, either sell out or just let it run. Or some people, like I just read with Amazon book with uh, Jeff Bezos, that guy is still intimately and completely in charge of that company, even though it's got eight and a half thousand employees. He still is very much, I guess, the, the, sa- you know, the captain sailing the ship of that but that's because company. he loves it. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's, what else could he do? That's what floats his boat. So why not? But um, yeah, I guess I guess I want the mix. I'd like the mix of mingling with other entrepreneurs, a, a fairly automated company that makes you know a good solid seven figures, and the, the ability to write books and, and reach people. So that's sort of the the three way, uh, the, the holy trinity, the triangle I'm working towards over the next few years. Uh, and of course, I feel like I'm still somewhat getting over the experience with my mother. So to be honest, that that was rough. And um, it's left me in a you know totally different person in some regards. So um, I'm looking forward to starting a year where I do not have a loved one in hospital. I'm touching wood seriously right now because I still have some loved ones out there. So everyone stay healthy. And um, hopefully, and for your family too, Walter, and all of our listeners as well, I hope everyone has a healthy start to the new year. That would be my yeah. one wish for everyone because, man, you need your health if you want to have a chance of doing any of this entrepreneur stuff. You, you really need that. Yeah, and it's the most important thing, really. Sure is. And on that note, would you like to wrap it up, Walter? We've reached our 30 minutes. What are we? 35 minutes. 33, actually. 34. Uh Very good. Well, uh, everyone, thanks thanks for listening. It's been a blast uh, having people listen to the podcast. Um, I know for me, this is the first uh, podcast I've done ever. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm always in awe of uh, people actually saying they get something out of it. So, Thanks for listening and uh, yeah, hope you have a happy and healthy 2014. Yarrow. Can't say Thanks. any better than that, Walter. Yeah, thank you for joining me on this little this little project we just popped up and decided to have a go at. I think we're on our 12th episode, this one, so that's three months uh, solid every week, which is nice. That, that, that's, that's a habit. <laughs> We've made it work this far. And it wouldn't happen without all of our lovely listeners. So we, I do appreciate you guys listening in and... Uh, giving us the feedback, even if you just want to send us an email and say things like that, we, we do really appreciate it and it keeps us motivated more than anything. So uh, thank you for listening in so far. And here's to another well, 12 months of episodes next year in 2014. Right, Walter? Nice. Yes. <laughs> oh, we'll see if we can squeeze it in. Yeah. should be exciting though. The uh, you'll California have some stories. Episodes. You'll have some stories. So I think I will. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening in, in this year. And of course, this episode please do subscribe to our Everything Entrepreneurship podcast, which is part of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. If you're not sure, you can find it on iTunes that way or find it on my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com. My name is Yara Stark. And this is Walter Haas. Thanks for listening in and we'll catch you on the next episode next year. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Everything 
Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow.